0: Hello and welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. On today's show, our guest is Brendan Schwab, the Executive Director of the World Players Association. Brendan is a lead figure in the player association movement across the world. And for many of you who listen to this podcast or have been to any of our events or attended the Human Rights webinar, you would have heard of him before and from him before on today's show, we're focusing on a very troubling case of a Bahrainian football player in the name of Hakim Al Haribi, who has refugee status in Australia, lives in Australia, and is currently detained by the Thai authorities. Now, I'm going to leave Brendan to go into the details of the case, which he does at the start of the interview, because he's much better placed than me to do so. However, I do think it raises some very interesting points about the role of sports organisation in upholding the rights of individuals and in particular the athletes uh, across the world. After we discuss that case, I then go on to ask Brendan about how he got involved in the Player Association movement and what advice he would give to anyone looking to do the same. I enjoyed the interview. I hope you do too. Um, You can tag us at Sport or me at SPCOTT on Twitter. Brendan leaves his details at the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Brendan, could you explain exactly what's been going on? Because you have to kind of, uh, you know, to really get into it, you have to um, you know, look at multiple news sources, which I did earlier, um, but it might be helpful to the listeners for them to get a a full grasp of what's really happening if you could really talk about his background how he ended up in australia uh, what he was doing in thailand at the time and, and and why is he getting so much attention from the football community
1: yeah sure sean sure. look i think it's um possibly the most fundamental issue that 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 sport needs to deal with other players people and if a sport such as fifa and now others such as UEFA and the Olympic movement are going to make commitments to protecting the fundamental human rights of people, then there can be nothing more important than uh, protecting refugees, especially a game that is as global and as universal as football. In late 2011, 2012, early 2012, there was, of course, the Arab Spring. And in Bahrain, there was a series of pro-democracy Um, protests in which players and athletes were particularly active Um, as in response to those protests there was a very severe crackdown by the Bahraini regime uh, into the activities of players and athletes and four players in particular um, were seen to have been particularly vocal one of which is uh, Hakim um, Al Arabi He was a member of the Bahraini uh, national team, having represented them in the Olympic uh, qualifying uh, matches. And he was subsequently charged with uh, setting fire to a police station, an act which the Bahraini regime uh, considers to be an act of terrorism. He was sentenced in absentia for a 10-year um, sentence in circumstances where, to summarise, the only evidence against Hakim was a confession from his brother, a co defendant, uh, who the brother asserted, and he's in Bahrain in prison at the moment, who the brother asserted was given under duress, even, even torture. Nevertheless, the court uh, accepted it. Hakim had an alibi, including. Uh, a broadcast match that he was participating in, just uh, in the minutes leading up to the event, which made it impossible for him to be there. And uh, as I said, it was heard in absentia. And the final element of the of the case was that the judge was a member of the Al Khalifa ruling family. Um, He was uh, able to flee the country and arrived in Australia in 2014 and sought refugee status. Late last year he was given permanent protection in Australia pursuant to a a protection visa and there is in unquestionably now has status as a refugee under international law. Under the terms of his visa he was entitled to travel internationally and entitled to protection internationally, with the exception that, of course, he couldn't travel back to Bahrain. Mm. He was newly married, and he and his wife made the fateful decision to enjoy a honeymoon in Thailand. Um, Unfortunately, Interpol, uh, at the request of uh, Bahrain and Thailand, and this is a matter that needs to be investigated, incorrectly put what's called a red notice out on Hakim's travel. And that means that uh, he was seen as a fugitive. He needed to be uh, arrested and returned back to Bahrain to serve this falsified um, prison sentence. Mm. Uh, He was... Unfortunately, detained on the basis of that red notice. That red notice has since been withdrawn because it was incorrectly filed. And uh, the long and the short of it is, however, over fifty days later, since the twenty seventh of November two thousand and eighteen, Hakim stays and in, in, is still being held in detention in Thailand.
0: And and am I right as well? He he he, he yeah. So it's really this sort of administrative error. Um, how come? Yeah, it would seem that if it's been acknowledged that 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 notice was put on him um, in error, why hasn't he been? What's what's the what's the reasons that the Thai government or um, whoever it is who's got the authority in Thailand um, hasn't released him?
1: You know, it's a great question. The the reality is that Bahrain. Uh, and they issued statements today saying they require the player back to serve his, his sentence uh, or huck him back. Um, and Bahrain are very, very determined to have him extradited, which under international law is called refoulement, uh, returning a person who's in fear of persecution back to the place where that persecution is, 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 is likely to occur. He's particularly courageous because he's been outspoken against Sheikh Salman, Uh, Bin Al Khalifa, the president of the AFC, the Asian Football Confederation, and a senior vice president of FIFA. And he was president of the Bahraini FA at the time of the pro-democracy protest. We understand that as many as 156 players and athletes have been detained and or subject to physical uh, punishment by the regime in response to the the profile that they gave the democracy protests. When Sheikh Selman ran for the FIFA presidency in 2016, um, because Hakeem was in Australia and safe, he was the only one of those players who continued to speak out about how inappropriate it is for him to be given a, a position of leadership within the game, let alone as right. FIFA president. So he certainly... Uh, a highly sought-after individual in that he has had the courage to speak out against the way in which he was treated. He says that he was tortured, that he was held down, his legs were beaten, and he was told by those questioning him that they'll make sure that they destroy his future.
0: Well, wow. That's horrific. Um, yeah, it's one of these um, uh, topics where, you know, I'm sure we're all guilty of, of, of having willful blindfulness about various things that happen around the world. And it's one of those sort of situations where, where obviously something like this brings it to light more you know, I guess one of the reasons why sport is so powerful that people feel like, Oh, it's a football player or someone I can connect with. It's someone, you know, um, uh, yeah. Someone who's got similar interests to me or something like that. I'm not sure. But the, the, um, I guess it's one of those things where you give it, because we're particularly working in this space, working in the sports sector, we give it more focus because it's in the sector that we're working in. Um, so obviously FIFA, as you said at the beginning, um, FIFA, UEFA, IOC, etc., have all uh, made commitments um, uh, to uphold human rights. Um, and FIFA have obviously got a new uh, FIFA Code of Ethics. On top of that, how does that interplay within this? And what would you, what is it you'd like uh, to see happen? Or what what actually to begin with? Actually, what has happened from uh, what f- football authorities? Um, and groups have, have stepped up and been involved because I know that there's an amnesty uh, petition taking place at the moment. That I'm not sure what the, lo- the last count I read was something like 16,000 signatures within 24 hours um, to get to get his release. Um, yeah, what what are the football authorities? Or what football authorities have actually sort of tried to intervene?
1: What's scary about this, Sean, is that how much has been done and how little has been changed. And to read this morning that Bahrain is insisting on extradition is particularly concerning. Since November, we've had Mary Robinson, the chair of the Centre for Sport and Human Rights, call for his release. Uh, We've had widespread global media, including in the New York Times, highlighting this matter. There's been an extraordinary campaign by the Australian football community led by The uh, PFA in Australia, an international friend of mine, Craig Foster, the Australian foreign minister has met with her Thai counterparts. Um, FFA, the Australian Federation, has called for the player's return. The president of FFA has met with Shoke Salman, who said there's very little he can do. He has very little influence over this matter. Of course, that's not true. Um, And FIFA itself has said that the player's human rights must be respected and that people must act in order to ensure that he's um, returned. Mm -hmm. So everyone agrees, with the exception of three key stakeholders, that what should happen about the player's return. Those three stakeholders are the Asian Football Confederation, the Thai Football Association and the Bahraini Football Association. Even though over 50 days have uh, unfolded, those three organizations have yet to even Say whether they support the players' return to Australia or not, and that's a gross neglect of their duties. Mm. So, in relation to what should happen, there are uh, two elements of the the FIFA human rights policy which which are important. The first one is that people have a duty to exercise um, leverage. uh, both over the states which are concerned, Bahrain and Thailand in particular, uh, but also within the football associations uh, to uphold the internationally recognized rights of the player. And the second element is that um, it's therefore not a – we don't have to show that there's a causal connection, for example, between Sheikh Salman and the denial of the player's human rights. What – people need to understand is that a failure to do anything is a breach mm. of the standards that we now have in sport mm. well that's that's fascinating
0: i didn't realize that 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 so many organizations um and i'm pleased to hear that actually though that, that so many have um come out in support uh, and taken positive steps um like you though it's very disappointing then that that hasn't materialized into anything and that is that is very concerning because of you know yeah, what do you have to do uh, in order for, for so many people to to recognise this, and then for nothing to happen? Um, and it, this is kind of it. Seems like this. Maybe I'm wrong, but it kind of feels like it might be a pivotal moment in this in this, the human rights in sport um, movement. Uh, to see, yeah, unfortunately, you have to have cases like this to see it put into action and into practice to see if it, if people will stand by um, what they've said they're going to stand by and to see if the regulatory regime um, can be enforceable um, at an international level. Um, What do you think is the, you know, what would you like to see in terms of the the next step then? So given that, you know, should there be, would you like to see an investigation from the uh, FIFA ethics committee or um, human rights committee?
1: I was very pleased to see that FIFA Pros called for the FIFA Human Rights Advisory Board to start uh, really closely looking at this matter. Um, it, it, it's full of experts led by Rachel Davis, uh, who's the chair from Shift, and, and she can and the board can, can start making uh, and giving advice as to what the players, all of the stakeholders within the football um, and connected to this matter can and 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 should do clearly the simplest solution is that bahrain withdraws the request for extradition and so the question is what role does an organization like the bahraini fa or the bahraini olympic committee have in world sport Mm. when they've made the decision to systematically abuse athletes on the basis that they've exercised their fundamental rights to political free speech now if if organizations can be kicked out of FIFA because governments are interfering with, Mm. uh, and let's say highly questionably governed football associations, then why can't those powers be exercised on something as fundamental as this? And we still unfortunately are at the stage where we're waiting for a president to act or we're waiting for a football official to act. And what needs to happen is that those who are affected by these decisions need to be empowered so that they can chase and pursue their own remedies. And unless and until we bring about those reforms, then I think, unfortunately, um, global sport will continue to let people down, and therefore it will continue to be illegitimately governed.
0: Well, I, th- I think it's a, a, a really good point you make, and one that, you know, if we talk about sport in and in, in football, and we talk about it in, in, as if it's this, and I talk about this a lot with sports law, that everything's applied equally all around the world, and it's clearly not. In terms of governance standards, even yeah, people's right to democratic free speech, um, standards aren't upheld the same around the world, nor are they agreed on what those standards are. And I think the, the these type of situations and and and. Uh, Highlight or at least give an opportunity for them to be tested, but also refocus people's attention. So the assumption that that certain uh, national FA's are getting funding from FIFA and getting support to develop football in in the country, then and, and be part be part of the football family as such. Um, they would you know the, the, clearly then there does need to be that that mechanism needs to be enforced where they are meeting those those standards so hmm it's going to be really interesting to see what happens and i think also for the if i'm if i'm correct because i remember uh, Sylvia schenk is part of the um human rights advisory board as well is that correct am i right yes. that, yeah. yeah and she yeah. was so she was saying they are they are in, fully independent so they've got the authority to um investigate what they what they want um, in that regard, and, and and go into it. So hopefully they do take up that ter- that charge, and it'll be interesting to see how effective that body can be. Um, yeah, and this is a question of politics, isn't it? An in international politics as much as it is law, uh, which is very 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 tricky. Um, well, thank thank you um, for for explaining that. Um, I think we need to we need to look into this in more detail as as, as law in sport. Um, I don't know, we've, we've, we've obviously done webinars and, and articles on, on human rights and player rights, uh, but I do think it makes a really interesting uh, analysis in terms of international sports governance. And I think that's where they're sort of, when we talked about this before, where the evolution is going. Um, changing tact slightly, um, I'm curious, and it's something that, 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 that I was only thinking of you know, when we're organising this, that we haven't really got into how how you started to get into um sort of players' rights, players' welf- player welfare and, and working for player associations. Can you just do, you know, for those people listening to this, maybe motivated to, to, to do something they want to, you know, would like to get involved, contribute in some way, I think it'd be really useful for them to understand what your journey was. Um, and so they can, you
1: know, ho- hopefully follow a similar path if they, sh- you know, should be interested to do so. Uh, look, I think that um, one thing that's interesting about working in the player association movement is, and I say this a lot to the to the team here that, you know, our job gets more difficult every day if we look at the complexity of the issues, be they from the fundamental human rights of players to a complex health and safety issue I was dealing with this morning in relation to the science around concussion, mm. um, to the complexity of athlete transition and life after sport, um, then I think that the work we do is 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 very important and that our movement, which really started in the early 60s, has an incredible track record of leaving sport and people better off and you know, i'd be frightened as to what the state of sport would state of sport would be without Um, the strength of the player association movement unfortunately of course there are many throughout sport that don't have access to highly organized player associations my journey into this began uh, and I'll be brief Mm. uh, just as a warning uh, so (laughs) people don't turn off but my journey (laughs) into this uh, began in the um, in the early 90s when I graduated from law I wanted to work in the labor movement in 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 the fields of human rights I was very passionate about sport at the same time. And uh, that period coincided with um, a lot of money coming into sport through media rights and in Australia, and the need for the players to become fully professional. So there was really quite a pioneering uh, time um, in Australia. We were uh, active in building our movement, setting up player associations in in a variety of the sports. I was very interested in 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 soccer, and I was very interested in the power of uh, an effective player association to make Australia internationally competitive it was a great sporting nation at that time but it was an underachiever in football and we felt that Australia couldn't be a great football nation without being a bigger part in a great sporting nation without being a great a great football nation And so the players got organized. I had the honor to be the CEO of that players association and a founder for a decade and a half. And uh, we really achieved um, some what I call the three pillars of of, of Australia really becoming a strong football nation. We had to close down the governing body and set up a new one. We had to work, obviously, with the government very, very closely on that, which we did at the turn of the century. We had to close down a failing league and set up a new one, which we did with the new A-League. And now, of course, we have the W-League for women. And we moved from Oceania into Asia. And that third move gave me the opportunity to be very active with um, FIFPRO, uh, the World Football Players Association. So I was, uh, had the uh, opportunity to uh, become a vice president there. And then the discussion started about, hang on, there are too many decisions being made at the global level, the global multi-sport level that affect athletes in which the athletes don't have anywhere near approximating an equal say. And having seen the players uh, play such a a leadership role in reforming the game in Australia, that uh, reformatory, if that's the right word, sort of DNA that I have um, uh, motivated Pro, all the major player associations in the United States from baseball, the NFL, basketball, hockey uh, very strong player associations in other parts of Australia and New Zealand and of course throughout Europe to set up the World Players Association and and, uh, and that's how I got to where I am. And And so what I really want to get to is Say
0: say for example, someone's and I and I get these people contacting me, saying, "Look, I really want to you know help protect. Uh, you know, maybe they're a former player, um, you know, maybe they're they're someone who's a professional. They're a lawyer, and they're saying that we've got issues. And in fact, I think we've met some of them at some the, of at the conferences we've been at. So we really want to do something to protect athletes' rights, um, and, and as you would say, give them uh, a true voice uh, within sport, but within their country. Um, this to say, they've got a a legacied in, you know, old-fashioned way of looking at sport where, you know, athletes are told, do, do what you're told and just go and perform. You know, we don't care, what, you know, so much we don't want to hear about your opinions. just go there to compete. What sort of advice would you give to someone, um, you know, who's in that sort of situation in terms of, you know, being where you were essentially in, in back in when you, at the start of your career?
1: Well, the first thing they should do is read the book of Marvin Miller, the founding executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, his book, A Whole Different Ball Game. I can see it on my bookshelf here as I, as I speak to you, and I give that advice to everyone. And and that means uh, that, you know, it's not, it's not enough to understand sport. The, the great reforms in sport through our movement have come when we've Seen ourselves, for example, as employees and professionals, so we've had to apply uh, labour law. Uh, the discussion about Hakim is a question of human rights. Mm. It's not a question of sport per se. Um, uh, the great reforms, be it uh, through the eastern case, which is probably the first one, is a restraint of trade, or, or uh, and in the United States, competition law has been very important. And I think what is Uh, very very important is to be very good and become expert in understanding these fields outside of sport so that you then bring the requisite perspective to sport so sport is the benefit of that external and independent knowledge i think where sport fails is when people are caught up by what i say is the mystique of sport um and it, it looks to itself too often um and then you get to see protection and we think harm we think the olympic movement at the moment is is uh is so uh protective that if we look into the United States, what the United States Olympic Committee did, for example, to deny liability or responsibility in relation to the U.S. gymnasts, hmm. uh, is an example of how a sport-only structure uh, fails. Uh, yeah. this Sport, and and so that would be my advice. Because uh, bring. Uh, and it's complex. I never used to like the phrase sports law. I used to always say sport <laughs> and the I, law. I know that too well. <laughs> yeah, sport and the law for that very reason. Yeah.
0: Well, I say that, 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 you know, you know, one of the things in this one I wanted to ask you, I always go, look, I don't really, I don't really entertain too much of discussion whether there is such a thing as sports law, because I think, you know, you've got the law as applied to sport, and then you could argue that there's, you know, if you want to, that there's this, you know, discrete area of sports law, case law, uh, jurisprudence has been developed um, but yeah one could argue that that's just arbitration or dispute, uh, alternative mm. dispute resolution but anyway I think that's kind of it can again you can get stuck down a bit of a rabbit hole then but the um, what I, I find more interesting is what's the role of lawyers so I try and look at sport a bit like you were saying you know initially I was yeah you, know, you, you know got caught up a bit I guess in the mystique and then sort of pulled back and actually try to look at it as a market developing and look at the market forces that are taking place or the, you know, what regulations required in the market, you know, and as you were saying, look at the labour demands and, and so forth. Um, what do you see, um, or how do you see the role of lawyers within player associations and the athlete rights movement? How do you see that sort of changing and evolving?
1: Well, I think where our movement's different is we make the law. Um, and we want an equal say in the content and I'll often go to a conference where people say, well, the athlete needs legal advice. Well, if the contract's one-sided and the arbitration system's stacked <laughs> and the broader legal framework cannot apply because, for example, the use of arbitration clauses, then the type of lawyer that you need is someone who's willing to organise a collective group of athletes so that they can have an equal system, uh, an equal say in changing the substantive law that makes up the system which, which um, employs them. Mm. And um, that for me is just so fundamentally misunderstood. There's no reason why athletes cannot and should not have an equal say in the terms and conditions of the contracts that apply to them. Wherever athletes have gotten close or have approximated what has been an equal say, then because they understand the sport so well, because they're committed to its overall success, Because they understand the business demands, then what we've seen, and we've introduced things like competition and best practice and the need to maximize revenue, then then the consequences of that impact have been incredibly profoundly positive for sport on and off the field um uh, yet we have to overcome this protective um, resistance and uh, and it's not enough to be able to advise someone about a contract that's been unilaterally imposed on them uh, good lawyers uh, need to be organizers and they need to think through how we actually change the rules that we're giving mm. uh, advice about well, it's, it's, it's interesting actually
0: um, Interesting you say that because I was at an event recently at Sport Resolution and I won't say who was speaking or who I was speaking to, but I was talking to someone um, about the anti doping system uh, and saying, you know, at times athletes can be a part of a, a pawn in a much bigger international game and not realizing that, you know, there could be an amateur athlete who's caught up in the current, um, you know, wider uh, framework, anti doping regulations. Their education may not be anywhere near what what I would consider to be adequate uh, because it's just a minimum standard. Uh, The National Anti-Doping Organisation who's investigating or testing uh, may not be competent, uh, you know, and and recognised by many as not being competent. And yet, you know, when they actually get to a hearing, they normally have limited legal advice and they can only argue on certain legal points. They haven't had any input whatsoever into the actual... Uh, world anti-doping code, or very little mm. input, if any, and often they're not even aware that they're caught underneath it, and and that seems to be, you know, on the point that you are saying, that seems to be, that's one area where I, you know, put forward this question to someone and said, well, how do you feel about that? Um, and they said, oh, but it's great, but they're getting good legal advice because there was, you know, they were talking about the pro bono initiative that a sport resolution do, um which I do think is a good thing, given the state of the world that we're in, but it doesn't seem wholly satisfactory, given that you know they're coming in and they're only able to work within this 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 system, as you said, that's already been created. It's not that like they're input into it or have necessarily fully agreed to it. And I do f- I, I agree with you on that. It seems to be you know it's something. It must admit it's something that troubles me at the moment, particularly in the anti doping movement. As something that is uh, you know very prominent in the sports sports uh, movement and can deny athletes uh, either directly or indirectly of of you know, a right to earn a living um, or to bet or betterment in, in in the same way.
1: Well it can be counterproductive because it can embed the harmful system. And and lawyers need to be aware of that, that they have a duty to their client. And, and that duty may well involve taking the system on and uh, player association leaders are probably not the most popular people going around for a reason. And <laughs> Marvin Miller used to say, look, as soon as the owners tell you I'm doing a good job, he'd say to the players, you have to dismiss me summarily. Um, he made it. And that's not a view everyone has, but he made, a, he made a view very clearly that he acted in the best interest of the players. He would never attend meetings with management, for example, without players being present. These are very democratic, mm. very uh, vibrant organizations. And I might leave you with a, a fantastic story that uh, Marvin Miller's successor, Don Fear, who's the president of the World Players mm. Association, told to the players after a strike in '95. the all-star players. And so these are the best players assembled in Major League Baseball and Don was uh, speaking to them and he said look there was a great player Willie Mays and all the players knew him of course and he said none of you in this room with the greatest respect to the superstars who are here are a better player than Willie Mays who was a great player in the 50s but you'll have much better careers and you'll have much better benefits and much better salaries And that's because you work under a different system than what Willie Mays worked under. Willie Mays worked under a system that was unilaterally imposed on the players in which the players have no say. You now work under a system in which you're a partner. You're a partner to the content of that and the making of that system and the success of our industry together. Now, the reason that's an important story is that we're often told that the best athletes don't need unions. But the reason why Willie Mays was not as well off as the, the generations of players that followed was the absence of the union. And no one would have been a better player than Willie Mays. And I think that applies across the whole of sport. That's brilliant.
0: No, thank you. I think that's a good way a good way to end the interview. Um, I think that's that, that connection we've seen. Yeah, I definitely think there's something that I've, you know, since I've been involved in sports law, that I've seen a, a real shift actually, particularly in the US sports, where there now seems to be that recognition that, you know, um, the objectives should be aligned between the owners, you know, the governing bodies and the athletes. And you know, in the UK, this week we had the uh, the Jess Varnish decision, uh, in which, you know, a difficult case, um, not the outcome that Jess Varnish wanted, but nevertheless uh, a move in the right direction in the sense that you're know, understanding that they've got to do more to look after their athletes. Um, so that's great. Well, I wish you all the success. Um, in sort of lobbying for Hakeem's release. Um, hopefully it's just a matter of time. Um, and yeah, I hope it'll be interesting to see how the mechanisms um, work in practice. Thanks so much for, for taking the time out of your busy schedule um, for the interview. I know it's quite a relatively, um, uh, how do I say, somber Podcast because it's such a because it's such a like yeah we had an upbeat one last week but this week you know I think it's such an important issue though it's one that you know sometimes you know we can't just look at you know people scoring goals and celebrating and isn't sport fun you know there's actually some you know some harder world issues that we need to actually look into and examine so I really appreciate you uh, giving your expert opinion on this and uh, hopefully um, you know if anyone wants to um, get in contact with you your Twitter handle is at Brendan Schwab. yeah, or you can contact him via the World Player Associations. Um, and like I said, if you're if you're interested in this movement, I'd, I'd strongly advise you to pick up that book that, that Brendan uh, recommended um, and, and, you know, take some action, get involved. Um, thanks so much, Brendan.
1: Thanks, Sean. And, and, yeah, there's a lot of smart lawyers hopefully listening to this podcast. And if they want to help save Hakeem, then, then, then feel free to lend their voice. Brilliant. Thanks, Brendan. All the thanks, best. Sean. No worries.